0: God. yep Appreciate it very much. Thank Thanks, buddy. You know, it's been a lot of fun for me to watch uh, this journey and walk down this road with Rod, and uh, we were with a group of pastors just recently. And in the area, and I was able to share with them what our church had done and encourage their churches to do something similar to that. And as he and I meet with other uh, pastors and churches in the area just to tell them about Real Life Community Services and to, kind of, and to cast the vision of how our community can serve and be engaged in the needs of people um, with some significant needs that go way beyond our capacity. But to have an organization that we can partner with, that can walk alongside um, us with those individuals is just an amazing, amazing experience. So we're excited about where guy's going to take them, and we are uh, anticipating more opportunities to partner with them in the days and weeks to come. So we'll certainly keep you informed about all of those things. So it seemed like an impossible excuse me, an unresolved, unsolvable dilemma, an unsolvable dilemma. I was, uh, on, I was planning to go down south to a conference with uh, one of the individuals in leadership here at our church, and we were going to. Um, our church had just started on the journey of trying to raise funds, and so we we're going to this conference down in Atlanta to try to learn a little bit better how to do this. We had never done it before. We said we should get some training, and so we were planning to do this, and so we met after work, drove down to Philly. Uh, we were there a little bit early, so we thought, let's just go in this restaurant and get a little bite to eat, so, we got in the restaurant, started talking about life and everything that was going on, and as we continued to talk about what was going on, we just got fully engaged and embracing the conversation. I happened to look to my right and say, there goes our plane, and it was backing away from the terminal. Um, there was no, would John Mickles please return, you know, please come to gate, whatever. That didn't happen. Now, they say it four, five, six times. It didn't happen. So we're like, oh, no, what in the world are we going to do? And this was before your cell phones could talk, sing, and whistle and do everything you wanted them to do. And so we had to go back to the gate, try to find the gate. It was getting later in the evening. There was no more flights going out at that point in time. Then we started going to other, uh, other airlines. None of them were flying out at that time. By this point, it was getting to be about 11 o'clock. And we were like, what in the world are we going to do? Do we scrap the whole thing? Do we find another way down? Um, what were we going to do? It just seemed like an unsolvable dilemma, and I don't know if you're facing one of those this morning. Maybe you see the bills that have to be paid at the end of the month, and you see the amount of money that's coming in, and you're not sure where all the money is going to come to pay all the bills, and it seems unsolvable. Uh, maybe you've made some financial commitments, and you've sunk some money into things, and now you're at a place you need that money, and you can't get that money out, and your, your tax accountant can't find a way for you to get that, and it's, you're stuck, and it seems unsolvable. Maybe you're in a job that is just demanding the life and blood out of you, and it's consuming you day and night, and, and you love the work, but it's just too much, and you can't have the time you want to pour into your family. But how do you step away from that and find time to find something that's manageable? And it just seems unsolvable maybe you're trying to care for your parents who are slowly getting up in age but but they don't want to make any changes and you're concerned for their health and the and you're trying to find an option for them and what's going to work best but they've dug their heels in and, and you don't know what else to do and it just seems unsolvable so what's your unsolvable unsolvable dilemma this morning what's your unsolvable dilemma this morning Well, we just started last week a series entitled Thriving in Babylon that's based on the story of a guy by the name of Daniel. Daniel was a young guy. He was probably somewhere between 18 and 21 years old. We don't really know how old he was, but that's a speculation based on his life experience. He had a couple buddies that we're going to meet next week. Tim's going to be here and and introduce them to us next week. And these four young men, likely along with many others, found themselves transported 1,000 miles from home Stripped of their culture, stripped of their names, stripped of part of what made them men, and tried to be stripped of their faith of what they believed. In spite of all of that, somehow these guys not only survived, but they thrived in unbelievable ways, unbelievable ways. How did they thrive in such a a difficult situation? How did they survive? Last week we looked at the, what happened when their world got turned upside down in just a heartbeat, their whole world got turned upside down, and we saw how God showed up in their lives. And I don't know what this past week was like for you, I don't know if God turned your world upside down or if it was just a normal week as far as normal weeks go, but I hope that you had a glimpse of where God showed up somewhere in your life. You know, our purpose here at CCC is to love God fully. And and part of loving God fully, I don't want to invite anyone to love God fully that doesn't know who God is. Why would you love someone you don't know at all? You wouldn't. That would be foolish of you. And so part of our journey here together is to understand who is the God of the Bible? Who is the God of the heavens? Is this a God that I can be trusted? Is this a God that I'm willing to follow? And is this a God that I'm willing to turn my life completely over to. And so, I don't know about you, but I've certainly found myself in my fair share of unsolvable dilemmas. And so, I I want to invite you to join me as we see how Daniel navigated that in his life. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2 is a story that we're going to be in this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat right in front of you. It's page 719 on on the Bible that's right in front of you, you can follow on your phone Or wireless device as well. Daniel chapter 2 is where we're going to pick up the story. The story begins there in Daniel chapter 2 verse 1. It says, "...in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, to tell him what they had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, "I I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means." So, what happened in this story? Well, the king was dreaming, nightmares maybe, nightmares, and uh, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. And so, he called all the guys that would normally help you sort this out, the therapists of the day, the magicians, the astrologers, the enchanters, and the sorcerers. And they said to them, tell me what what my dream was. Tell me what my dream was. And then, tell me what my dream was means. In the Babylonian culture, as well as in much of the, the ancient Near East, dreams were viewed um, as very, very important. In our Western culture with our science and our logic and our rationale, we don't view dreams very. We do don't see them as being very important. But the rest of the known world, dreams are a pretty important part of the way they view life. And so, for the Babylonians, they were always looking for a sign from God. They were always looking for God to point the way. And sometimes it would be through dreams. Sometimes it would be uh, through the stars in the sky. Sometimes it would be just the shape of the animal liver that they were eating for lunch that day. But they were always looking for a sign from God in everything. And it wasn't just the Babylonians. It was woven all throughout the faith of the people of that day. You can go back to other places in the Bible, and you can find stories where God showed up to people in their dreams. seems odd to us. really does. But if you go to other parts of the world, the Muslim culture, for instance, nearly anybody who is a Muslim who has walked away from their their Muslim faith and has chosen to follow uh, Christianity and the God of the Bible, somehow God showed up often to them in a dream that nudged them to move towards that. Very, very, very common. Very common. We're just starting to understand how dreams work and the way, the way they function. You know, we know our bodies at rest, but our minds are never fully at rest. I mean, how many of you have gone to sleep and you woke up with a problem you were thinking about when you went to sleep and you had the problem figured out when you woke up? How many of you had that experience? Okay, a bunch of you, you know, that's what I did yesterday. I took a nap, woke up, had a sermon for today, you know. That's just, it doesn't happen every week, but it just happened. No, I'm just kidding. It didn't happen like that. But it's true because our mind doesn't rest, does it? No, our mind is going, our mind is engaging, and we're learning more and more about this whole area of dreams. We now know that if you dream about the same thing over and over again, I hate to tell you this, but you got to talk to somebody about that because that's not a good thing. It means you're te- your subconscious is telling you there's something you got to pay attention to, something you got to look at. Don't ignore this. It keeps coming back over and over and over again. And so, dreams are very much a part of their world, very much a part of the way they function. And Daniel, in the training we saw last week, was trained to interpret and understand these, but this is way beyond what he was asked to do. It's way beyond, way beyond. Because the king, as you can see in the story, he was asked to tell him what he had dreamed. Tell him what he had dreamed, and then interpret it. He goes on to say in verse 4, the astrologers came in, <clears throat> and they said, King, live forever. Tell us the dream, and we'll gladly interpret it. Look what the king says in verse 5. This is what I've decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor, so tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So essentially, he said, if you tell me the dream, your life is going to be on easy street." but if you don't tell me the dream, I'm going to cut everybody up and nobody's even going to know you ever existed. That's a pretty strong ultimatum, pretty strong ultimatum. So, they come back to the king a second time in verse 7. They said, let the, let the king tell his servant the dream and we will interpret it. And now the king's starting to get a little suspicious. Look what he says now in verse 8. He says, I am certain you're trying to gain time. You guys are just stalling you guys are just stalling because you realize that's what I've decided. If you don't tell me the dream, there's only one penalty. You've conspired to tell me. You're misleading and wicked. Tell me misleading, wicked things, hoping it's going to change. Tell me the dream and what it means. The king says, quit stalling, guys. Quit stalling. Either you tell me or it's over and done. And then look what the astrologers conclude in verse 10. They said, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great, has ever asked this What the king asked is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. It's going to require someone superhuman, someone extraterrestrial, someone not of this world to do this. Nobody is going to be able to do this. It's never been asked before. They didn't say it's ridiculous, but they said it's going to have to be something supernatural for this to take place. Verse 12, This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men. So the degree was issued... But all the wise men and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends because they were in that group. They were in that group. And they didn't know this was coming. They didn't know this was coming. They were faced with an unsolvable dilemma that they didn't even know it was coming. Have you ever had that experience where maybe you're out and it's a beautiful day and you're enjoying the day and you're, you're maybe working outside or, or out with your family or just on a walk or a hike and, and you turn around and you look and you see the clouds forming behind you and you're like, it's coming, it's coming. It's coming. You know, kind of had that sense when you're having a family gathering, you see one of those relatives go, oh, no, here comes trouble. It's coming. It's coming. Help me survive, God, you know. um, But that's what was taking place. Daniel didn't know it was coming. And there had been this decree made that they're all going to die. They're all going to die. And so what does Daniel do when he's faced with an unsolvable dilemma? Well, somehow word got back to him in verse 14. It says, when Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. We saw this from Daniel last week. There was a wisdom beyond his age. There was a tactfulness and a discerning way that he navigated these situations. And so what did he do? Verse 15, he said to the king's officer, why such a harsh decree? And then Arioch went and explained the whole thing to him. And then Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now, the text doesn't spend much time on this, but somehow Daniel got a hearing with the king, and he got a hearing with the king, and he got an extension on being able to resolve this issue. Somehow, God granted that to Daniel. We don't really know how. So, what did Daniel do with this unsolvable dilemma? In verse 17, he returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then look what he said in verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of the heaven concerning this mystery so that they would not be executed just like all the other wise men. And so when Daniel was faced with an unresolvable dilemma, what did Daniel do? Daniel pleaded with God. He pleaded with God. I don't know about you, I don't know what path you take when you're faced with an unsolvable dilemma. My experience in my own life and as I talk to many people, it generally goes one of two directions. So for some of us, when the unsolvable dilemma shows up, we start thinking, well, plan A, this would be this to solve it, and plan B might be this, and if that doesn't work, we'll go to plan C and D and G and H and Q and Z, and we've got it all mapped out. And there's a very few of you who, when you're faced with an unsolvable dilemma, say, I have no idea what to do. God, can you help? God, can you help? I don't know where you go, I tend to start over here. That's kind of my default is the problem-solving orientation. How can we fix this, resolve this problem, move on with life, make life easier? But then somewhere along the way, it kicks in. You know, I don't have a clue, and I need to start pleading with God. I need to start pleading with God. You know, it's fascinating to me that's right where Daniel went. Daniel didn't come back with the guys and say, okay, guys, we we need a strategy here. Okay, what can we go to the king with? All right. It doesn't really make sense that he's going to wipe out all the wise men for something that's never been done in the human history before. That doesn't make sense. Okay, that's a logic piece. We can, we can go to him with that. And you know what? If he wipes us all out, it takes years to train new wise men. So, who's he going to turn to advice and go, okay, that's another strategic point we can add in there. None of those did he come up with or think through, and they all make sense. He just said, we're going to go to God, and we're going to plead with God for mercy and say, God, can you do something? Can you do something? And so that's what he does. In verse 19, during the night, a mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then he praised God. And look how he praised God. Verse 20, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. The first thing that Daniel says, he said, you know what comes from God? There's a wisdom that comes from God. There is a power that comes from God. That I, they're not ours. They're not ours. He then goes on to describe them. Look in the next verse. He says, "'He changes times and season. He deposes the kings and raises them up.'" You know, it's not the jet stream that's keeping us things warm for so long. It's God. It's God. It's not the farmer's arm almanac determining how much snow we're going to have this winter. It's God. He's the one in charge of all of those things. Um, you know, it's not a crazy guy over in North Korea that's driving the, the world the world scene. It's God. And it's not the guy that we have in the White House driving things either. It's God. It's God. And so, the first place that Daniel had to go is he had to go when he was faced with an unsolvable dilemma that he had no solutions for. God took him to a place to remind him that I am in complete control of everything that's happening in this world and in your world. In this world and in your world. Your world. He then goes on to say, he gives wisdom to the wise. There's the wisdom piece. Knowledge of discerning. He reels deep and hidden things. What lies in darkness and the light dwells with him. You know, he says, God is the one who gives this wisdom. God is the one who helps us figure things out that we don't have a plan or don't know what to do. It comes from him. He goes on in verse 23 to close with this. He says, I thank and praise God of my ancestors. You have given me Wisdom and power. There's the same two phrases again. God, this is, this is from, you demonstrate this, and you have now entrusted this to me. You've made known to way was asked, and you've made known to us the dream of the king. And so, David kind of breaks, excuse me, Daniel breaks out in just a, a little bit of a worship service, a little bit of praise, praise there, just saying, God, you are so amazing, you're in so incredible, and you have placed that in me, in me. You know, this past year I've slowly come to understand um, in ways I've never known before the image of God in us. The image of God in us. If you had asked me a year ago, I say, well, yeah, we're like God in like this way and this way. And, and this year, God just kind of opened my eyes. See, there's a whole lot of ways that God has taken the stamp of his image and put it on every single one of our hearts and of our minds. And as he stamped all of those things on us, he's created in us these longings and these desires that come from God that can only be met God's ways. And so Daniel says, God, this is who you are, and this is what you've given to me. Um, And what's Daniel now going to do with it? What's he going to do with it? Well, he goes in and talks to Ariok, and he tells him, says, can I have a hearing with the king? And he gets a hearing with the king, and then he goes in to meet with the king in verse 27. If we can jump down to verse 27, Daniel goes into the king and says this, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain, but there is a God in the heaven who does what? He reveals mysteries, and this is what he's revealed to you. And he goes on down in verse 29 to say, As your majesty was lying there, your mind was turned to things, and the revealer of mysteries, that's God himself, showed me what is going to happen to you. He said, This mystery wasn't revealed to me because I'm smarter than anybody else, but so that you can know what's going on. And he then goes on to describe what God revealed to him. And so this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He says, Your majesty looked, and there before me stood a huge statue... An enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head was made of gold, the chest and arms silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out of, but not by humans' hands. It struck the statue on its feet. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver were all broken into pieces and came like chaff. The wind swept them away, but that rock that struck it grew bigger and bigger became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And so Daniel says, King, this is your dream. This is your dream. And I've got a picture up here to show it to you. He said, you dreamed of a huge statue, and at the top was a head of gold, then chest of arms and silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs, feet, and iron of clay. But there's this rock that crushes everything. And after it crushes everything, it expands and gets bigger and bigger and fills the entire earth. And Nebuchadnezzar says, so what in the world does that mean? What in the world does that mean? Well, look in verse 38. And I love the way Daniel says this. He says, your majesty, you are the king of kings. You're the big dog. You're the one ruling the world. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. At that The nation of Babylon was the ruling power of the entire world. Look where it came from. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and beasts of the field. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler. You are that head of gold. I love how the fact that as Daniel interprets this, he gives credit back to God. He gives credit back to God. He reminds Nebuchadnezzar in subtle, crafty ways that he's not the most powerful guy around. Someone gave it to him. Someone gave it to him. Um, and I love Daniel's wisdom and discernment and knowing how to say that when he was in this unsolvable dilemma of his life being threatened. He then goes on to say, but your kingdom's going to come to an end. And then there's going to be a second kingdom, that's going to take over. And a third kingdom, that's going to take over. And a fourth kingdom, that's going to take over. And then he said, but eventually this rock that was cut out of somewhere, this rock is going to wipe out all these other kingdoms. It's going to wipe them out so thoroughly that when the wind blows, it'll blow the dust, and there will be no remnants of these nations anywhere. Anywhere. He goes on to describe this nation in verse 44. He says, There will be a kingdom that will never be destroyed. No one will take it over it will crush everyone else, and it will last forever. It'll last forever. So he says a kingdom is coming. that's going to wipe them all out. It's going to reign forever and ever. You know, when we tend to think about our world, the world we live in today, at some level, most of us think the world today is better than it used to be. Um, now, I asked in the first service, I'm curious to see what your response is, how many of you would like to go back to life um, at the turn of the century, 19, the year 1900? How many of you would like to go back to that time and live then? How many would you go back? Okay, I got, I got one taker, two takers, okay. I got three in the first service, you know. So, you're agreeing to go back when there's no cars, um, when we're just getting used to electricity, you probably don't have electricity because we're out in a little bit of a rural area, you build everything by hand, meal preparation takes all day, um, you work hard in the fields all day long, medicine is very primitive, so you're getting your teeth pulled out with no Novocaine, you know, and, um, and you didn't live very long. You didn't live very long. The reality is most of us believe at some level the world is getting better. The world is getting better. But, but go back to that statue. Can we put the statue back up there again? You know, from gold to iron, is that getting better or worse? What do you think? A little louder. Better or worse? Worse. 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 God says, it's not getting better. It's actually getting worse. It's actually getting worse. When someone says, you've got feet of clay, they're actually describing you not as a, someone who's great and significant, but as someone pretty, pretty weak. And it's hard for us to not lose sight of the fact that the world that we live in, the world as we know it, is actually getting worse, is actually getting worse. But not only that, this rock that he talks about, which points to the eternal reign of Jesus forever and ever in His eternal kingdom, it says it's not formed by human hands. Technology is not going to figure it out. Science is not going to figure it out one day everything will defeated be defeated by someone not from this world and they're not going to be in a starship with a funny face you know jesus is coming back and he is going to reign forever and ever but it's hard for us to lose sight of that when we're faced with an unsolvable dilemma that we can't figure our way out And part of the story of Daniel is to take us to a place to remind ourselves that God is in control of this world and of your world. He's in complete control of this world, and he's in complete control of the world's future. He's in complete control of your future, no matter where it is or no matter what you're facing. And so David's unsolvable dilemma, when he put out a plea to God, God answered that with divine wisdom that he put on display. Divine wisdom that he put on display. And so how did Nebuchadnezzar respond? Look in verse 48. King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and, and the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery for him. What a stunning conclusion. I mean, just a day earlier, Daniel and his buddies were like the king's going to take our heads off if we don't come up with this thing that no one has ever figured up, figured out in the in the history of mankind. And then less than 24 hours later, you have the most powerful man in the world bowing down at Daniel's feet. Who would have predicted that? Who would have predicted that? A stunning conclusion. A stunning conclusion. And that's the way God likes to do things. That's the way God likes to do things. God says to us, if you can set your, all of your efforts to solve your problems yourself, there's a place and time for that. There's a place and time to put your brains and your logic and use all those things. But if you can set those things aside when you are faced with an unsolvable dilemma and you can just fall on your knees before the God of the heavens and say, I can't figure this out, I need your help. God loves to give you wisdom that is not your own, that produces a stunning conclusion, a stunning conclusion. We've experienced that here at CCC, haven't we? We have. We have. I was talking to someone who's visiting this morning, and they were just commenting on the the facility and just. you know, saying some really nice things to us about this space. And I said, I said to them, you would not believe where we were three years ago. We're in a 1950s gymnasium with classrooms that looked like they were decorated in the 1950s, and they hadn't changed since then. That's where we were three years ago. And where we were three years ago is we had, we had saved and we had raised money and we had done capital campaigns and, and we had only raised half of the money, 50% of the money needed to build a new building, 50%. That's it. As I talked to a few of you, you're like, John, maybe in our lifetime we'll see the other half, you know. We had no idea how that was going to happen, no idea. And I'll be, the first to commit, I'll be the first to confess, I didn't spend a lot of time praying. I didn't spend a lot of time praying about that. But God, in His mercy and grace, provided this place for us, and the cost of this place, and the money to do the initial phase of our renovations after we sold the property we, we earned was exactly the 50% that we could not figure out where that money was going to come from. 50% cheaper, 50% less. If you would have asked our leadership four years ago, how's God going to solve this? We would have just said, well, try a little harder, raise some more funds, skimp and save a little. That that was our only plan. We had no way of knowing that God was going to bring a solution to us completely out of left field that we never imagined possible. Some of you know part of the story. We never had a realtor contact us in all the years we were trying to buy land. Never. And then one called us on the phone. We had actually contacted the leaders of this organization several times and asked if they would sell, and they told us no repeatedly. And God just decided, now's the time. Now's the time. A stunning conclusion that we've been able to experience because of our amazing, amazing God. And so as you find yourself faced with these unsolvable dilemmas in your life, these unsolvable dilemmas. I hope that the story of Daniel has some value for you. I hope the first thing that it has value is that you remember, you remind yourself that God is ultimately in charge of everything. He's in charge of everything. He's in charge of every nation. He's in charge of your enemies, whether they're on another continent, whether they share your last name, whether they sit in the cubicle next to you, and He's in charge of all of our futures, all of them, all of them. I mean, He mapped that out for Daniel, didn't He? He said, this is going to happen and then this is going to happen, This, and you know what, It's happened exactly like He said it was going to happen, and He has the same thing available for us. And then second of all, where will you seek wisdom to face these challenges in your life? Where are you going to seek the wisdom to face these challenges? In your life, there was a researcher, his name's Daniel Goldman, and he, he did some study on the smartest people in, in the country. And he discovered that just because someone has an IQ, a high IQ, it doesn't mean they function effectively in life. And what his research determined is that your IQ only affects 20% of the way you live your life. You say, 20%? What do you mean? Well, what's the rest? He discovered that the other 80% of that, the other 80% is what's called your EQ, your emotional intelligence, your ability to solve problems, your ability to navigate your emotions, your ability to make hard decisions. And where do you find help for that? And Goldman had no answers, no answers. But I would suggest to you that the answers are available and they begin with a relationship with the God of the heavens through his son, Jesus Through his son Jesus. And as you open this book and you absorb this and it fills your mind and fills your heart and fills your soul and begins to transform and change and give you direction in terms of how to live life, you're going to find a wisdom that's not your own, that's not your own, to navigate these challenges that you're going to face. So, I don't know all of your stories, but I would suspect most of us this morning have some unsolvable dilemma that's crossed our minds as I've been talking. And as we close, I just want to give you um, a couple minutes just to bow your heads and talk to God about it. Say, God, this is what's going on in my life. I've tried this. I have no idea. But I just need your help. So let's bow our heads as we close and do that. God, you know each one of our stories. You know each one of our struggles. You know each one of our dilemmas. For some, God, it's a money dilemma. For some, it's a job dilemma. For some, it's a relational dilemma. For some, it's an addiction dilemma. For some, it's a health dilemma. God, you know all of them. And I pray this morning we've just stopped and paused and said, God, we need your help. We have nowhere else to turn. There's no solutions here. We need your help. We need your help. God, I pray as we walk out of these doors today and we walk back into the stories of our lives that the story of Daniel would echo in our hearts this week. We might pause and just reread it and sit with and think about what would it have been like to be in his shoes, to have a life-threatening dilemma and have one night to see you come up with a solution. Can't even fathom it, God. But you showed up. And you demonstrated your wisdom and your power. And I pray in the dilemmas that we face, God, that that you would help us not to rely on our own strength, but to come to you. And God, we might see you show up in our lives in stunning, unexpected ways. God, we believe you can and we believe you will. Give us the courage and give us the faith to come to you.